0: What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. Uh, Today, we're going to talk a little bit about recruiting. We just had some new rankings come out at 247. So we got Steve Clark, uh, recruiting analyst for the Devil's Den. And we also get to bring on Travis Brandom today, national recruiting analyst over at 247 Sports. Uh, So I guess we'll kind of start at the top here. Um, The new rankings just came out. Obviously, Derek Lively held on to the top spot. So, Travis, just kind of give us a little bit of an overview of what goes into this process um, and what kind of warrants significant player movement.
1: Yeah, uh, so the process essentially is just getting out on the road. That's where um, all the work is pretty much done. So we've been hitting the road hard. Uh, myself, Eric Bossy, uh, Brandon Jenkins, and Deshaun London, we've all been getting out and kind of evaluating these guys and seeing where where they're developing. We've been watching uh, most of these guys for uh, since they were freshmen. Um, so just continue to see how they've grown and developed over the years. And so, um, what kind of warrants these movements, um, especially at a time like this is, um, just kind of like, w- where are these guys at in their final stages of their high school career? Are they, are they improving or are they similar and stagnant in their development? Um, and, and a lot of that plays into it. And are they producing at this point, your seniors, you got to start producing, uh, the, 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 uh, Kind of time frame where we want to see guys go from prospect to player. It's kind of coming to that end at this point in their in their evaluation processes. We don't want to see seniors with the size, length, athleticism, all of these physical tools, but putting up two points and two rebounds a game. Um, at this point, that's that that's not what we're looking for. We're wanting to see you go out there and really uh, start to make a s- significant impact, especially if you're going to be one of these top tier guys. So um, there's a lot that goes into it, um, and there's still like. There will be a once in a blue moon, you'll you'll get a guy that kind of emerges at this point, this late. It's a rare thing, but it'll happen here and there. So um, it's really just getting out there, seeing where these guys are at, where they're headed, uh, and, and really just kind of feeling out
0: uh, what kind of futures these guys are, are going to have. For sure. What is the comfort level like for you all um, ranking this class, maybe compared to some other ones? And I'm just thinking kind of like the impact that COVID's had these last few years, these guys being seniors, probably 50 to 60% of their high school career has now been dominated by COVID. So what, what impact does that play?
1: It definitely plays one um, for a lot of these guys. They didn't get to play much uh, at all last year. Um, so, or I guess you're, these guys are seniors. So going into their junior seasons, they didn't even have a summer. Um, so, I mean, frankly, a lot of these guys are kind of behind in their development. If you really want to look at it um, deeply, these guys miss out on a lot of game reps. Um, so they're they're kind of uh, a little bit behind, and that that probably does play a bit of uh, the part. And it also plays a big part in some of these guys, like a Kyle Filipowski going from unranked outside of the top 150 now up to number two. Um, and there's several guys like that. Nick Smith is now into the top five. Kaysom Wallace. Uh, up into the top ten, Amari Bailey's always been uh, a highly touted guy, and he's still in there. And uh, part of the COVID thing with him is he's still in the top ten, but we've only seen him play about three games in the past two years, so we don't really know who Amari ba- Amari Bailey is anymore. I I think uh, I'm I'm one of the I think I am the last guy on our team to actually see him live, which was in May when he he. Uh, slipped away from his high school team because the California season went so late. He slipped out and played strive for greatness one weekend in Gatlinburg. And I got to see him for two games. Um, other than that, he's been an unknown um, guys like Khalil Ware, he he went under the radar in COVID. Um, and, and we saw his film at times. And so we got, a, got him in uh, trying to get a feel and then finally got to see him live in person. And he's kind of bloomed late. So um, COVID's bit played a big part in the evaluation process, but also the development process. So, this, this class has seen a ton of movement, especially with the reclassifications. Um, it has been very difficult to uh, kind of figure out and kind of answer your question, too, of what's our comfort level. I mean, to be honest with you, we're very uncomfortable with this, with this class right now. And it's not necessarily because of our lack of feel on these guys. It's, there's a lot of questions about these prospects that we don't have answered because there's just a, a lot of things that we want to see out of these guys that we're not seeing right now. Um, Like we wanted to see Derek Lively produce consistently at this point. He's not producing consistently. Um, So the conversation for who is number one has been extremely difficult and really finding a guy um, who is, I guess, dethroned him in a way. I don't know if anybody at this point has won that number one spot. It's up for grabs at this point. Derek Lively, I think, uh, kind of uh, won it by default with just by having the highest upside of anybody in the class. Um, so this thing is far from over, especially when it comes to the number one and, and yeah, we do not feel super comf- comfortable, um, just because of the fact there's been so many reclassifications there have been so much, uh, so many outside variables that are outside of these players, uh, control at play. And it's, it's just a weird class, man. And, uh, especially since I've been kind of around in this business dating back to like 2014, uh, when I was just first getting started, um, this is the the most difficult class to evaluate, I think, and it competes with that 2015 class with, I think, about six or seven guys who spent time in that number one spot. been Ben Simmons, Scala BCA, uh, Jalen Brown, uh, Brandon Ingram, all those guys. It was, it's turning out to be one of those classes.
0: Yeah, and I guess that kind of um, gets into my next question then about if, if, if it was that close in this class, how does Lively compare to, to other top prospects? I guess for Duke fans, um, having you know the number one guy coming in, what should kind of be the expectation level, uh, in your opinion? Yeah,
1: not all, uh, can't stress this enough, not all classes are created equal. Not all number one prospects are created equal. Um, Derek Lively, he's a tremendous talent. What I ultimately project him as is an elite role player. This is not a guy that you're just going to give the ball down to in the low post, and he's going to go get you a bucket similar that uh, Duke has had with – they currently have. Paulo Bancro, great example. He's not one of those guys who can just say, go take the game over for me. Um, he's not that level of a prospect. He's just an elite role guy He's going to block shots. He can be an anchor on the defense. He moves his feet really well on the perimeter defensively. Uh, his jump shot looks really good. That's something that we noticed uh, more that's been developing in his game over the past six months since peach jam. Um, he, he stepped out at who Paul and knocked down a pair of jumpers and, and his form really does look good. So uh, he's going to be able to step out and pick and pop, pick and roll, rim run, um, just kind of all the things you want to see out of basic things you want to see out of the big man. He's, he's able to do it and can do it really, really well, but he's just not a guy that you say, go take the game over for me. Go, go get this bucket. Um, it, it, so Ultimate upside, yeah, he, he, he's got all the potential in town to be a one-and-done, but not a guy I would say that uh, Duke is going to have come in and be take the reins from Paulo. If anything, Kyle Filipowski, I expect to be probably uh, the majority of the offense to run through
2: at this point. Mm. Hey, Travis, this is Steve. Do you mind if I follow up on Lively? Um, one of the things I've noticed with him is his passing. Uh, ability, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure you've noticed it too. I wanted to ask yes. you, how do you feel about his passing ability in the context of the Duke offense? Like, what what do you project him to be able to do, whether it be in a motion offense or whatever?
1: No, that's a great evaluation on your part. Yes, he is a tremendous pra- passer for a big man, and that was something that, I, along with that jump shot, that was my second biggest takeaway at hoop Hall from him was his passing ability. He is a guy that can step out onto the perimeter in a motion style offense and kind of see over the top of the defense. You can space out your shooters, fly off some screens, and he's going to be able to facilitate out of it. He's also a guy you can throw it down to on the block, and he will be able to kind of operate as a, as a facilitator down there. He's going to be able to see the floor, and he's a really good passer out of the low block. Um, so you can use him as a, as a passer in a variety of ways. I think that, that uh, kind of weapon of his will come, will kind of continue to grow and develop in time as he, as the game comes a little bit slower to him, as he starts to figure out and see what he's trying to look for. And he's able to kind of put some pressure on the defense on the block, like try to get to his right hooks. You see the defense pinch down. You're able to kick out, find the shooter. Those things just come in time with some experience. Um, so yeah, good evaluation on your part. He can really pass and you can definitely, uh, that's something that I think Duke and, and John Shire will be able to use a little bit, uh, next season.
2: This, uh, Hey Josh, just to make a point on this, this, this whole discussion kind of reminds me a little bit. This is going back a little bit about the discussion about Duke's uh, 2005 class. Like when you think about Josh McRoberts, like Josh didn't come in super polished as a uh, as a player, and you know he was a guy that kind of had to feel his way a little bit when he when he first got to Duke. And his passing ability was something that, in some ways, kind of reminds me of what I see with Lively. Like you can you can facilitate offense through him. That even if he's not quote-unquote, a traditional big that you just throw it down there and run offense through him, I think from a passing ability perspective, this discussion reminds me of that discussion about McRoberts back in the day.
0: I guess for me, um, I'm more interested, and I haven't heard it talked about as much, so I'm curious to get y'all's thoughts. I'm more interested in Lively's defensive potential. So the nerd in me is kind of wanting to ask for for y'all that have seen him live several times, what's the defensive motor, how engaged is he? is he picking up reads in the pick and roll? Like what, what can we expect to see from there? Cause I think that's where, and even in the NBA to hit his highest ceiling, it probably needs to be as a defensive anchor.
1: Yeah, no question. Um, he, he, he has all the upside and potential to be that defensive mm-hmm. anchor and being the elite defender. Uh, I actually think that's where he's able to bring the most value to a basketball team. Um, Right now, as it stands, it's really hard to gauge uh, where kids are able to pick up reads and all that stuff at the high school level, because frankly, high school coaches, for the most part, don't teach that stuff. That's a very, uh, that's that's where the college, is. it kind of takes a jump over the high school level. Um, but he has the mind, he has the brains, he has the intelligence to do that, um, to, in my opinion. The one thing uh, that we've been wanting to see more as evaluators is his motor uh this derek personally it's been a very up and down season for him frankly it's been more down than up uh the production and and uh the amount of viewings that our team has had of him uh have kind of come away leaving us wanting a whole lot more out of him pretty much every time we've seen him now back to who the first quarter and a half two quarters of play uh in the first game he played he was absent uh really wasn't out there having much of an impact part of that is not his fault Uh, i think his high school team could do a better job of getting him more involved into the game and getting him going earlier but also he also has to kind of do his part and bring it more on the defensive end you don't have to have play plays called for you to make your impact felt on the defensive end ever so um but he his when his motor is running um, tremendous defender, rim protector, rebounder, runs the floor really, really well and really, really hard when he is doing that. And he was doing that at times at Hoopal. And so um, some of one of the reasons he did kind of uh, hold that number one spot was because he did play with a bit more of a motor at Hoopal than we have seen previously this high school season. Um, and when he was playing with that motor, I think he had 22 points and 20 rebounds um, in that first game. So when it's up and running, man, he he's uh, it's he is the number one player and prospect in the country. But uh, when it's when it's not running or he's not really getting involved and he's kind of letting it impact everything else, uh, he 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 can be uh, just kind of a like I said earlier, he just leaves you wanting so much more out of him.
2: In some ways, this kind of reminds me of the discussion a couple of years ago about Mark Williams, Travis. Like he, I I I know we both watched him a ton, you know, at Peach Jam and whatnot, and I. It's the same thing, like with Mark, when he was in high school. There were times where he was dominant uh, on the defensive end, and you could tell he was fully engaged. And there were other games where it was just like you were saying with Derek, like you were looking for a little bit more. And I think the, you know, if you're a Duke fan and you're listening to this, I think you you have to know, like when when a guy like Lively gets to Duke, knowing the level of talent and capability that he has on the defensive end, like the hope is going to be that they're going to require lively just from a motivation perspective to approach the game the way we see Mark approaching the game, because Mark, especially this year, like he plays with a much more consistent motor than what I saw of him all the time in high school. What do you think about that?
1: Uh, Again, I agree with that 100%. Uh, I will say Derek is much more ahead of Mark at this current stage of development. So when you're you're looking at Mark, when he was a senior uh, Derek, Derek is just far, far more ahead of him, especially from the skill and skill and talent perspective he's uh, I would say Derek is even longer um he's got a better frame to him but yeah Mark at the same stage like motor was definitely uh, uh inconsistent production was very inconsistent um I'll never forget like he was one of those guys that we always eyed especially at Peach Jam that summer leading into senior year where it's like this kid has all the tools and potential to be a top 10 player not even a question but he he just never really completely lived up to it. And then I'll never forget at a DC national hoop fest. um, I think he had, he had just committed to Duke uh, just shortly before and he went off. I mean, hands down the best performance i would ever seen out of him. One of the best performances of that entire high school season. And I remember uh, Evan Daniels with us. I was working for Evan specifically at the time. And Evan was obviously with 24 seven. I mean, him looked at each other that game and like, this kid's a top 10 talent. Like he's a, tonight for sure, he was a top 10 player. Um, He was just, he he was uh, playing against, I think it was actually against Trevor Keels, against PBI. Um, And he was just outstanding. Um, But Derek at this same stage is definitely more ahead of him, but I would definitely say it's similar. Like he's a, he's a guy that is uh, coming in and going to be, you got to have a little bit of patience with him. You got to have some tempered expectations, um, you don't want to put too much pressure on this kid because, um, again, not all number ones are created equal.
3: How do you see Lively pairing with Filipowski? Because they're obviously both big men. Does one of them have enough stretch capability to make that work together? Or are they going to be you know, clogging up the lane?
1: Uh, no, they definitely have the ability to stretch. Uh, Kyle's perimeter skill set is, is pretty incredible for a near seven-footer. Uh, if you watched hoop ball this past weekend, he was making uh, he was pushing the ball in transition and making live off the dribble passes, hitting guys on it on a rope uh, for for easy buckets in transition. I mean, you don't see that in near seven footers. And plus, he can stretch floor, and make shots, and this face up game is tremendous. Uh, he's got good ball skills, and again, he's he. While Derek is a good passer, like especially uh, out on the block or stationary up on top of the perimeter. Kyle can do it off the live dribble and he he has the ball skills to really put pressure on other big men. He's a really good athlete. Uh, Not so much laterally. That's a concern defensively. So offensively, that kind of brings me to my point. Offensively, they can absolutely function together. Both can play high-low at any point with Derek's uh, uh, ability to shoot from three, Kyle's ability to shoot from three, but also put it on the ground. Defensively, it's a little bit trickier than that. Obviously, you want to see Derek play the five, be that anchor, stick around the rim and really protect it. But at the same time, he moves his feet much better laterally than Kyle Falkowski. Kyle is also a capable rim protector. So maybe offensively you have Derek at the five, Kyle at the four, but defensively you kind of have to flip. You have to have uh, Kyle at the five and Derek at the four. It's going to take a lot of feeling out to, do, to figure out how you're going to use this. Kyle has definitely improved moving laterally, but if you, he, he definitely – um, if you watched again, hoop ball, I hate to keep going back to it, but we just watched it, and it's obviously the biggest event of the year. Uh, there's times he just gets broken down, he stumbles, and he has to, and he's forced to recover. Now he has the size and athleticism in the motor where he's able to recover and block shots and make it, make it a more difficult shot uh, for the guy at the rim. However, you don't want to see a guy consistently getting broken down on the perimeter at the high school level. So more you want to see Derek will is more functional at the four on defense while Kyle's more functional at the four on the offensive end.
0: it will be interesting to see if John uh, kind of reduces the overplay and plays a little kind of more of a relaxed man to man, maybe even some zone with those two bigs in there. Uh, speaking of Filipowski and I'll, I'll send this to you, Travis, but first I want it for Steve. Uh, can you remember who was the another, like a last Duke guy that you've covered that's kind of transcended through the rankings like this is there someone that you know from like outside of the 150 to a top five prospect that comes to mind or how historic is that for kyle
2: yeah nothing really comes to my mind travis would probably be a better person to ask uh on that since he since he's been doing rankings for incidentally like as a total side note guys this is really cool for me to be having travis on the pod and talking Talking hoops talking players with him because I remember when Travis first came on board working with uh, working with Evan Daniels and I think like uh, travis, I just wanted to share just briefly like it's ton of respect for you because I, I know how hard you've worked and how much you learned from working with Evan so it's cool to have you on
1: I really appreciate that yeah it's uh it's been a, it's been a wild ride man um, so I'm really happy to be on here and um, I do appreciate that um, but yeah looking back I mean, even just scrolling through this list right now, no, there's not really many guys that have kind of transcended the rankings uh, quite like Kyle Filipowski. And Again, we've seen this out of a couple of guys in this class, uh, Khalil Ware being one of those kids going to Oregon. Um, it's it's one of those – it's just a, a strange outlier of a class, and he's definitely one of those guys at Duke, uh, if you want to look at it from just having a consistent elite being classified as an elite guy early on in his career, it's there's not many of them that that Duke has kind of found this late in
2: the process. And I think the thing for me that stands out with Kyle is you hear it oftentimes like guys work hard, and I think with Kyle, like you really have to like go back multiple years and just understand like how hard he has really had to work to develop his game. And he's a guy that who had goals in mind, and for him to trust the process and stay uh, at, at his high school you know, for a variety of reasons. Like, he's a guy that committed himself every offseason, every practice period, AAU, high school. He's a guy that takes his working on his game, being a good teammate, extremely seriously. And I think you saw it, like, I, Travis, I watched the Hoop Hall stuff on TV, uh, the televised games, and one of the things that, like, out of nowhere, like, do, do you remember that play where Kyle, like, shot the gap on defense and and got... and. Knocked the ball out and and went ahead up for a dunk. Like you don't see big guys making plays like that, and that only comes from having a high major, you know, high elite motor. And he's that's that to me is like what Kyle brings. He's he's a super skill guy, but I love his mental approach uh, to the game. He's a team first. Whatever whatever the team needs him to do, wherever he needs to play, he's going to do it. And he works hard.
1: No question. Uh, the mental approach, I think, is a big separator for him. This is a kid who absolutely loves the game of basketball. He loves to go out there every single night and compete. doesn't matter who it's with. Um, And and I do think, and also uh, to your point, yes, I do remember that play. And not only does that speak to his motor and his athleticism, but also speaks to his basketball IQ. He he just, this kid, he just loves the game of basketball. Um, And that's a big reason. And this is something I tell anybody who's willing to listen and when they're willing to have a conversation about the development process, uh, and trying to educate players and their families and their coaches and all that stuff. Like when you love the game, you're going to put the work into the game. Uh, and, and just by having that love of the game there, especially as an evaluator, when I, when I'm digging through, um, some of these guys and I, and I, really have some good information regarding like Kyle Filipowski truly loves the game and he's only a top 75 guy because I know that I'm more willing to bet on this kid that he's going to continue improving. We see it all the time as evaluators and it's something that uh, when you do case studies of guys who go late in the draft and then they end up being like a Donovan Mitchell, like he goes back in uh, in the late teens and now he's clearly arguably the number one, he would have been the number one pick looking back at it. If you redraft that class now, and part of the reason he, he excelled is because that kid just absolutely loves to compete and he loves to play basketball. Those guys stay in the gym. They consistently work at and they consistently find ways to get better. Kyle is one of those people. And he is, uh, really just Bravo and props to him because he is, uh, really, um, transcended anything that we thought, especially this time last year. So, um, it's all the credit to all the work that he's put in. And, um, he's, he's going to be, uh, Duke fans are going to love him next year.
0: So when Kyle committed, you know, he was talking about being a four-year guy at Duke. What does this do to that? Should we be expecting Kyle as a one and done type talent now, or is he still someone that could, could stick around?
1: That's an interesting question. Um, because I would actually say, as we've kind of dug, dug, gotten deeper into this class, as time has kind of progressed, we had Kyle, uh, I think number 11, uh, last update, uh, in September. I was at that point. It was right. Yeah. It was right around that time. I I started considering like, especially when you look at the other guys in this class, um, this class as a whole, everybody's basically on the same tier from one to 10, nobody separates themselves. Essentially. Um, you can, you can shuffle this way uh, around a million different ways and it's hard for anybody to argue against you. Reasonable, reasonable minds can disagree here, but because of that, I've, I've been kind of trending towards Kyle's probably a one and done prospect. He's a one and done prospect, whether he does it or not, that's TBD because he is being uh, vocal about him wanting to stay multiple years. Um, but yeah, I started when you really look at it, this kid, Kyle has one of the highest floors, if not the highest floor, um, in the entire class. And I would say to Whitehead's it's not too far behind him from a guy. Like every time he steps out on the floor, you know, exactly what you're going to get. He's going to produce, he's going to rebound. He's going to be able to score. Um, and he's going to impact the game at a high level. Whereas there's some of these other guys in this class where you, it's going to be a little bit more inconsistent. You don't, they got a lot of areas to develop. Kyle's just got that high floor and doesn't have as high of a ceiling as some of these guys, but, um, I expect him to produce and definitely be talked about being a lottery pick, uh, this time next year for sure. So for any player, uh, it's, it's really difficult to pass on a guaranteed contract, especially that high, high up in the draft and, and try to come and come back and do college all over again. So, um, I'm not sure if he'll come back. It's obviously what he's talking about, but I do foresee him being projected as a lottery pick.
0: And you mentioned um, Dariq, who's I've been pretty vocal about, is my favorite player in the class. Um, I know there was a little bit of talk a few weeks ago of maybe he could could, could take the top spot. What are you seeing from him? Um, and could he be a guy that we look at five years from now and say, you know, he was the jewel from this class?
1: Uh, definitely, uh, he was very much in the conversation. We we're he was actually probably the favorite favorite uh, about two weeks ago uh, about taking that number one spot. Um, the biggest area, uh, or the biggest question that we have on him is shooting the basketball. We know he's a great defender. We know he can be a really good rebounder. We know what he brings, uh, as a leader, that kid goes out and he leads his guys. Um, and he's, he's got a good personality. He's got the leadership qualities. He's a big time competitor. Um, he's a good passer. He's got a good feeling IQ for the game. This is a kid, We got him listed as a small forward, but uh, I actually can see him playing the point, just like Wendell Moore is this year for Duke quite a bit and also Trevor Keels. Um, So I see him kind of coming in filling a role similar to those two guys on the ball, but he has to shoot the ball better. He has definitely improved there, but not consistent uh, and and very, very streaky. I think he went one of seven in one of the games that I watched in this past weekend. So if he can develop that, uh, and really kind of make strides in that area and become a consistent and reliable shooter. And it doesn't even have to be a good shooter. You just has to be a guy that you have to respect on the perimeter because um, that opens up the floor in the game for everybody else. So if he can do that, yeah, in five years, we can look back and be like, this kid was the jewel of the class. Um, but, and again, he was very much in that conversation for number one. He was heavily, heavily, heavily considered. Um, but just kind of one of those things where, Last weekend, just the ball wasn't falling. So kind of
2: stuck with Derek at that one spot again. Me personally, I like what he's bringing to in terms of his mental framework uh, to Duke next season. Like he, you know, everybody talks about how he's played at Montverde, but just the sheer volume of talent that he's played alongside at Montverde. And he's been a guy that has played in the starting lineup or as a key guy off the bench for them for years. Like that, he's bringing a winning basketball mindset from his high school experience into Duke, and he's used to playing with top talent. And I just every time I watch him, and I've seen him at City of Palms events, I've seen him at EYBL, like you name it. Like he always just plays a very mature, focused game on on both ends of the court. So I think I, Travis, you were uh, you were mentioning it earlier, like having that IQ. Like he he's a guy that I look to in the class. Like he's going to come in ready to go. Like, because he just plays that mature floor floor game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you said, he's he brings a winning mindset. Uh, he is what we call a winner. Uh, that's that's like the term that gets used most consistently with him. he's a winner? Not only him, but Mark Mitchell is a winner too. And I would also classify Kyle Filipowski as a winner. Those three guys, their mindsets are are high level mindsets. Um, and while yes, there's question marks, how do all these guys fit together next season? Don't want to jump ahead, but those three mindsets, Derek, uh, uh, Mark and Kyle, like those guys can really lead and they're going to be able to figure some things out together. And, um, for sure, like there's, there's just a, a winning attitude about the guys coming in next year. That is really, um, positive and kind of different, uh, when it comes to high school kids, you don't see it very often.
3: How big a role would you see? Uh, you just mentioned Mitchell, actually. Uh, how big a role would you see him having next year? Because we're going to have Philipowski and Lively there, and they might be taking a lot of those four or five minutes. And it does seem to me like Mitchell's best position would be four. I don't know if you disagree with that, but just some thoughts on him in general and how he might contribute as a freshman.
1: Uh, I actually agree. I do see Mark Moore as a four man, um, and I do think his role. I don't think we can. Accurately project his role right now. Uh, He's one that's going to be determined upon what uh, I think John Shire is going to feel like he needs at the time. Because Mark, um, not near as skilled as a Kyle Filipowski at the four, especially on offense, but defensively, Mark can be an incredible defender. Um, Honestly, if you look at this class as a whole, Duke has never been really known as a defensive team. This team can be arguably their best defensive team in a long time Uh, with Dariq, Mark. And Derek, those three guys can be elite defenders. Um, so maybe this time next year, especially as the season progresses and you get into ACC play, uh, you start to figure out, okay, we don't need so much scoring on the perimeter. We need a a, a guy who, who's going to be a, a dominant defender, whether it be at the three or the four. Mark can defend both. Offensively, he's definitely more of a four. Um, Face-up four-man mismatch, he can pass, he can face up, he can put the ball on the ground. He's got really good touch around the rim. Um, but he's not really a shooter. He he's not going to be one of those guys. He'll maybe make, uh, he'll, I expect him to make less than one shot from three a game. Um, so he definitely more of a four. So, um, his just projecting his role is just, I think it's going to be one of those things. He could be one of those guys. that's a 20 minute at a game guy, or he could end up becoming one of those guys. that's like 25 to 30 minutes. a Um, so I, at the end of the day, I think he's going to still provide a, a tremendous amount of value. Uh, whether he is just a guy coming off the bench for year one, or if he does kind of per- turn into a, a starter and playing a, a big, big role next year and become a one and done type player, his value, um, like I was saying earlier, he's a winner. So there's a lot of value in his mindset, what he brings to the floor as a leader, um, and a competitor. And again, he can be an elite defender, um, if he's willing to
2: continue buying in on that end of the floor, which I think he is. I was talking with him recently. We did an interview uh with him at the Devil's Den. And he he told me like he's he's been talking with Shire and Shire has been talking with him about, you know, just preparing to be able to play that three, four role and to be able to complement, you know, and play, you know, either both with lively and flip all at the same time or play kind of like what we see right now, where where Duke is rotating Theo John with, you know, either Mark Williams or with Paolo, depending on the depending on the circumstance, like I think you could see Mark Mitchell playing as a four alongside either Lively or Flip uh depending on the depending on the matchups and I I love his versatility that he brings because I think he's he's a smart ball player. He can operate off of curls on offense and I think he's going to enable Duke to be versatile in their front court especially on defense.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Um I don't think it'll be it would be tougher than to be able to play all three together. So yeah, you're definitely going to be looking more at uh two of those three being on the corner at the same time, um, all, all together. It's if you add all three in there, it's a tremendous amount of size. Um, but, and again, a ton of defensive ability it would be hard for any team to score on that, but at the same time, you got to score the ball on the offensive end and um, that kind of crowds the paint and all that stuff on, on that side of the, uh, on that side of the ball. So, uh, but yeah, definitely going to be looking at uh, those guys kind of interchanging at the four and five, like you can Honestly, any way you slice it, uh, you can put Mark at the five at times, even if you really want to with Kyle at the four. Like, They're going to be versatile, There's, and you're going to be able to use these guys in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah, and perfect segue there. We talk about shooting. Um, want to talk a little bit about Jaden Chute uh, and, and what he brings to this class. I know that I think in the recent rankings, uh, he, he fell a little bit. So, Travis, from your end, what do you see from him, and, and what does he project, and how well do you think the shot translates at the next level?
1: The uh, shot's definitely going to translate. Um, year one uh, would would expect him to be more of like a 15 to 20 minutes a guy game guy. Maybe he he he. that's just the base level. Um, I don't like to oversell. Um, he, so I would expect him to come in and play 15, 20 minutes a game. If he, if he plays more than that, that's awesome. But the shot's definitely going to translate. This kid also has some toughness to him. As far as this high school season goes, I actually haven't seen him this high school season. Last time I saw him was this summer. Um, he was really, really good, but this high school season one of our other guys went and saw him. Um, just wasn't his best outing. Um, kind of left him left one of our guys wanting more out of him. Uh, didn't really produce and play all that well. So he fell a little bit in the rankings. Um, but when it comes to what he can bring at Duke, I think this kid uh, can really be a tremendous player at Duke. Um, I really do think that I think he can be a really, really good college player. Again, he's a really good shooter and he also has, he's a, he's a very good athlete. And again, he has toughness to him. He likes to go out there and compete. He's going to play well through contact. He can score off the bounce and he's got some, he's got a lot of game to him. So, um, he can be a really good player just, and he will be, I would, he also could be one of those guys where they really need him to just come in and make shots. So, uh, he's going to be called on uh, a lot more than you'd anticipate out of just a top 75 guy Duke in their first year. So, um, similar to mark his role is kind of going to be um need to be felt out a little bit as he gets on campus and maybe duke also is able to go out and get a guy in the portal um to kind of help alleviate that pressure on a guy like James shoot next season
2: yeah i think there's been a there's been a lot of discussion on the board like people have been asking like you know how athletic is Shoot, and i think haven't seen him at nba PA top 100 camp this past summer down in orlando like the thing with him that were that was interesting to see was he's a really fast athlete, both with the ball and without the ball. Like there were, he was playing on a camp team at, at, at top one hundred camp, uh, Travis, where there was a lot of talent uh, on that team with him, and so he would sometimes he would get the rebound and he would pitch up ahead, and the speed that he got into offensive actions, like he's I think he helps Duke from that perspective. If they get out in transition, he's a guy that's going to run up the floor super fast. You could get into pick and roll action uh, with him, or he could spot up for three if you've got your floor spaced. Like I just, from an athlete perspective, he's one of the quickest guards that I've seen uh, in a while. Yeah, he's a guy.
1: He he definitely kind of will catch you off guard with how just how athletic he is. I remember the first time I watched watched him. um, I, I wasn't. I was still. It was like I think it was in the first half. I'm still trying to get a feel for how athletic is this kid. He didn't like. He wasn't wowing me yet. And then all of a sudden, he like gets into the paint and just punches one on somebody. Like rises up in traffic, goes up on two guys and just finishes it. And I'm like, it was like one of those things that just catches you by surprise. You didn't expect it. And then you keep watching, and then yeah, you start to see the speed and transition. And again, he's got pop to him, man. He's he's a fun player to watch. He doesn't back down from guys. Uh, at least when I was watching um, this summer, he was not backing down from any competition. He kind of he kind of liked uh, to go up in and compete against the best guys. So, um, definitely, uh, one of those guys, I think Duke fans will, will, enjoy watching, um, for, cause he, he'll be a multi-year guy. So they'll be, they'll, they'll enjoy watching him and, and kind of seeing his growth as a player and what he brings to the team.
0: Does he do on most of his damage, uh, like on the ball now, or even in like the high school circuit, is he primarily like an off ball guy?
1: It's a blend, honestly. And I would say it's a healthy blend. Um, he, he does he does it on he does it both ways. Uh he, he can handle the ball on a ball screen and he will do that at the high school level. He's also a, a, a capable playmaker. He's a pretty good passer. He's got a feel, he's got an IQ for the game, but um he also does it off the ball. He likes to fly off screens, create separation just just by sheer movement. Um and, and kind of get shot, shot opportunities there. And then um he's also able to turn the corner coming off a screen um and and get into the paint and finish and so he does it uh both ways obviously at the next level it's going to be called upon more off the ball but uh as he continues to grow and mature as a player in the college game um you'll start to see him playing more a little bit more on the ball and being called upon more upon the ball to go get a bucket
0: i guess as we kind of wrap up this discussion before we move on i'm a little curious um so for Duke fans, you know, we're kind of used to bringing in top classes, but we're also used to those top class. Like we, we rely on those kids a lot coming in. We, you've talked a little bit about kind of this class in relation to others. Is this a recruiting class that's going to equate to carrying a top 15 squad or are we going to need several veterans back? It's hard to gauge um, because – uh, from a from a
1: pieces wise i think you would want some guys to come back you would want a Trevor Keels to come back you'd want a Jeremy Roach to come back um you would love to have a Wendell Moore back that would be tremendous but i think he's i think he's a first rounder this year it's going to be hard for him to come back um if he does that's awesome and that's a huge huge piece to next year's team um but you do need more shooting you need more scores um but at the same time you have as we were saying earlier you got guys while they're freshmen, they got outstanding approaches to the game. They're leaders, they're winners, um, to where I, I don't see them. Uh, like, I could see them outperforming um, expectation at times. Um, and I don't see them crumbling by any means. Like, when they face adversity, I see them uh, as guys that won't, like, I don't really see them falling outside the top 15 because of this, um, just because of how they're all wired. Um, but at the same time, there, there's going to be, um, some, some things that you, you like, ideally you just want to see some of those vets come back or else you're going to have to go to the portal to kind of get some bucket getters. But, um, those, the, again, those three guys are winners. And I think they're going to be able to kind of, um, withstand some storms that, that may come.
2: Yeah. I've been trying to make the point, you know, as we, as we discuss this on the boards, like, you know, I think when you get used to you know, covering teams and seeing teams win, you know, with the high level of talent that Duke has had, you know, with generational talent, Zion, you know, R.J. Barrett, Jason Tatum. Like, the way those kind of teams win is going to be – it's completely different from how next year's team is going to win. Like, it's going to be a collective team effort. And I totally agree with you, Travis, that I think the the collective mindset of the leaders of this class, like, what they're going to bring, like, even though they're going to be young in age – I think that I think they're going to bring a level of toughness and folkne- focus that is going to win games in different ways from what Duke fans are used to seeing.
1: Yeah, these these guys um, again. Not all classes are created equal, so this uh, expectations have to be a bit tempered. Um, I don't want uh, fans coming in thinking this team's going to be um, uh, a potential like undefeated, exceed just outstanding uh, expectations like these guys. This class is, when you look at it compared to others, it's a bit down. So uh, I wouldn't expect these guys to come in and, and just kind of roll over guys every single night in the ACC next season. Uh, that's just a bit unrealistic. But I don't I – we're on a Duke podcast, but it, it's especially when you're looking at teams that rely heavily on freshmen. you got to look at Kentucky's team last season where they just crumbled. And I think a big part of why Kentucky's team crumbled last year with all these freshmen that came in, everybody in at Kentucky – uh, or around the, the, just all the fans, the fan base just expected them to come in and just be this outstanding team. They have the number one class, um, and they they're came in with a lot of hype, Brandon Boston, Terrence Clark, all these guys. But at the end of the day, they didn't have the leaders to kind of withstand these storms to kind of figure things out when when it got going rough at times. So um, instead of banding together and figuring it out, they kind of just crumbled. I don't see that with next year's team when – because uh, every team is, is going to be faced with adversity at some point. And uh, I think these guys have that mental makeup to respond to that adversity well and just kind of figure things out and, and really be uh, a good team uh, next season.
0: And I guess before we we get out of here, I did want to talk a little bit about Caleb Foster. Pretty hot topic right now. Um, whether or not he's going to reclass. Currently still slotted in the 23 class. But what are you all hearing in terms of you know him making that jump? and you know, I guess hypothetically, let's say he does move to 22. Where does that put him with with everyone else?
1: As it stands right now in just his reclass talk, it, from all the information I've gathered as recent as last week, um, it sounds like it, it's trending more towards he's going to stay in 2023. Um, now, if he does reclassify in 20, to 2022, um, that, that decision won't be made until the spring as uh, he went on record saying last week, and that also matches up with the information uh, that I've gotten from other people, uh, th- with knowledge of, of what's going on there. So, um, but if he does reclassify to 2022, this kid's, uh, I would say more of like a top 35 type player in 2022 that kind of just tells you, um, not all classes are created equal and 2023 is a bit that da- 2023 is a bit down, uh, uh, overall as a class as well. Not, not knocking Caleb, just as a whole, there's, um, 10 or 11 guys better than him in 23 right now. But if you really want to compare it to 2022, there's about 25 to 30 guys that are better than him. So, um, but still a tremendous player. He, every time I see him, I'm kind of, uh, taken back by how big he is. He's pushing six foot five. He's got a big, strong frame to him and talking to the coaches at Oak Hill. That's one of the things they, they tell me it's like, this kid is so strong. And I don't think the kid really, I don't think Caleb realizes how strong he is yet. Um, and he's one of those guys that's a floor general facilitator, uh, just steady Eddie out on the floor. Um, high IQ doesn't turn the ball over consistently makes the right decisions. Again, it's, I guess this has, been a good evaluation on John, John Shire's part. Um, and something he's clearly been looking for is Caleb's a winner, just like the other guys. It's one of those terms that you like to keep going back to, um, and, and, Duke fans should be excited about that. Like winners might guys that we classify as winners may not always be the most exciting guys, but at the end of the day, they're going to help you win a lot of basketball games. So, uh, Caleb's, uh, he's a really good, uh, steady, consistent prospect that can make shots. Uh, he's good in ball screens defensively. He's, he's got a high IQ for the game. So, uh, off the ball, he's impactful on the ball. He's still learning. Um, but he's, he's got upside there. So, um, Good, another good player. I, at this point, I don't expect him to classify it into 2022, um, but this situation has been fluid as of about a month ago. It sounded like it was an all but done deal that he was going to reclassify and then things changed. Um, and so now it's trending back in the direction of him sticking in 2023 and um, just kind of taking this time with the development process and uh, yeah, joining Duke in two years so.
2: I was to Travis I was talking uh, the other night with Jared McCain from the class of 2023 and he mentioned that Caleb uh is talking with him quite a bit. You know, it seems like Caleb is interested, you know, to potentially uh pair with Jared in college if if Jared is open to that. What's what's your thoughts on that? How do you think they how do you think they fit? Cuz my my personal opinion I haven't seen them like I think they could fit cuz they could both play with the ball and off the ball. What do you, what do you think?
1: I think they're a great fit together. Um and yeah, Caleb told me uh, talking to him last week, he told me he's going after Jared really hard. Um, him and Mackenzie and Baco, those two guys, he, he's already recruiting, trying to try and get get those two to join him. Um, so as a pair, they fit really, really well together. Both can play on and off the ball. Um, Jared's a really good passer, uh, but he's at his best when he's scoring the basketball, and he's really good off the ball. He's a knockdown shooter. He can score and, and, and create off the bounce as well, and in ball screens. Um, so these guys can really kind of play really well off each other. You can have one on the ball and off the ball at any time um, throughout, the, throughout the course of a game. Defensively, Jared's definitely smaller. Jared's about six foot two, maybe six foot three. Um, so defensively, you probably want to put Jared at the one. Caleb's so big, you can easily put him at the two. That's no problem. They both have the IQ. Uh, to really just figure that out. Uh, That wouldn't be too difficult for those two to kind of adjust to and adapt on the fly from going from one on the offensive end to the two on the defensive. And that's, I think that's pretty easy for Caleb to learn. So um, I think those two guys would definitely fit really, really well alongside each other.
3: So what would uh, Caleb have to do to sort of be ready for college? Cause you hear a six, five point guard who doesn't make mistakes and can hit shots and you Kind of wonder why he would be ranked 35th. So, what's kind of the conspicuous area of weakness there?
1: Um, one, one area, uh, being a bit more dynamic, being able to put more pressure on the defense off the dribble. Uh, right now, Caleb is very, uh, which I think will always be his game. He's a very ball screen dominant guard. He's going to need ball screens to kind of get by guys, get on there, get them on his hip, and get into the paint. Um, he's not going to break down off the bounce. He's not. He doesn't have the burst um, or speed to to get by his man. It's he's going to need a ball screen, um, and so just and that's an area he's just learning to be more aggressive off the bounce. Um, there's times this high school season that all he wants to do is just shoot threes. Um, there's been a couple of games where I've seen him try to uh, where he's pulled up, I think about nine or ten threes. Um, you want to see him get more into the paint and, and really kind of try to collapse that defense and and try to operate out of that. Um. Another thing, it's just the mental aspect of it, um, the adversity that he's had to face at times this season. Uh, the game can be a little, has been a little bit too much at times for him. Playing O'Kill, you're playing at Oak Hill. You're playing um, the best of the best high school teams. Uh, at times, it can just be a little bit tough um, for for a junior going up against guys uh, like Mont Bird with all these their whole entire starting fives in the top 35 of the 2022 class. Like, he's they're to they're
3: huge too, aren't they're they? freaking
1: huge, yeah. Like So there's just a, a variety of things that you just want to see him. Like he could definitely reclassify. Let me let me say this. He could definitely reclassify and provide value, but I would not anticipate, and as a realistic um, kind of viewer, of the, try to be a realistic viewer of the game, I would not anticipate him coming in and being a starter right away. I think that would be asking a bit too much of him. And try to throw on his shoulders for um, this kid who's just a junior in high school. He's a bit old for the class, if you really want to get down to that, but um, just mentally and all that stuff, that's a lot of pressure to throw on a kid who, who should still be a senior in high school. So, um, very few. Uh, there's not been very many re- guys that have reclassified and kind of exceeded expectation at the collegiate level um, in their first year. Uh, so, it would just be a tough task. I would expect him if he does reclassify, just come in and, and get 15, 20 minutes game and get ready for year two more. So,
2: hearing you, Travis, like it takes me back to 2015 and Derek Thornton and that whole situation and that, and that discussion. Like, what kind of equivalencies do you see there? Like, you know, because hearing you talk about it, like those were some of the concerns. Like, when Derek reclassified and came in to be the point guard at Duke, like there were questions there too. Yeah, for sure.
1: Uh, Caleb's definitely farther ahead than Derek Thornton. I think Derek Thornton. When we look back, um, if if you want to look, if you want to compare the two at the same stage, Caleb is, is much further ahead than Derek. Caleb's got a way better size. He's got a way better frame than Derek ever had. Um, and and Derek is he was one of those guys that um, he wanted to score the basketball more than more than create for others and be be more of that leader um, for the team. Um and Caleb's he's he's wired that way. He he wants to go out there and facilitate running offense and, and kind of uh lead that team um as as the primary decision maker. Derek wasn't, I don't think, was as wired that way. So you want to compare the two that way. Not only physically are they very different, I think their games are different. And Caleb doesn't project in any way to come in and and, and be similar to a Derek Thornton, even if he does reclassify, I would expect him. Um to be a bit different, um, especially as we've all kind of been able to watch over the years. We've all kind of learned these things. It's hard to, re- Derek is one of those people we learn from that if you reclassify, it's, it's a hard thing to adjust to and kind of adapt to. You got to temper your expectations a little bit. So I think that plays a bit into Caleb's, into Caleb's uh, favor as well.
0: Well, that seems like a good place to stop it, I guess. Um, again, we want to thank Steve and Travis for coming on. Um, you know, ch- head on over to thedevilsden.com. Check us out there. We, we previewed it a little bit, but we're going to do a separate pod on the 23 guys. Uh, Steve's working on an article with Jared McCain right now. Be sure to check that out. Gigi Jackson just had his visit uh, after the Syracuse games. So we'll come back and talk about those guys a little bit. Um, but again, you know, email us, the devil's den pod at gmail.com. Rate, review, and subscribe. And uh, keep the faces strong and the burp high.